This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. The scripture reading for this morning is Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. It can be found on page 811 in the Black Pew Bible. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Good morning. Hey, welcome to Redeemer. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. It is really good to be with all of you this morning. Christmas is one week from today. So if you're not ready, you should really get ready because it is coming, ready or not. Uh, as we do enter Christmas week, I want to tell you, give you a little forecast of what you can expect uh, here. Uh, we will have a Christmas Eve service at 5 o'clock uh, right here next Saturday. Would love for you to come. Bring your family. It's going to be a family service, family uh, candlelit service. Uh, during that time, we're also going to collect a benevolence offering. Uh, we like to meet needs in our community, uh, whether that is in the church or in the immediate community around us. Uh, and the way that we we do that uh, is through you guys. Uh, we don't have a magic account that restocks itself uh, with money. Uh, so one of the things that we value is being able to come alongside people, help them. Uh, and historically, we've taken offerings on Christmas Eve to uh, help us help other people throughout the year. So if you're planning on being here, I would love for you to uh, have a conversation with uh, your spouse or look at your budget and see what you can uh, give to contribute to our Benevolence Fund. We also, if you're not going to be here next week, do have an account uh, open online. So if you go to our website or the Church Center app, you can give directly to our Benevolence Fund right through there. Uh, and then Christmas day. We are going to be here for one service at 1030. We would love to see you. We're not going to have uh, kids, so it will be an abbreviated uh, family service. We'll sing some carols. Mark will give a brief sermon, uh, and we would love to embrace the chaos of sugar-filled kids on Christmas morning uh, here for the service. So 1030, next week, one service, no kids. We'd love to see you. Uh, Now let's pray and get into what Jesus has to say here in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, So will you pray with me? God, I'm really thankful to be here again uh, with these people. I'm thankful for uh, your word. Uh, And and even in 
the difficulty of understanding what exactly Jesus is saying here and trying to figure out um, how to follow his command of don't be anxious. Like, I'm really thankful that you meet all of our needs, uh, that even if we're not sure how you meet our needs, like, you're there. You're always coming through. Uh, So God, will you give us faith? Will you open our eyes to see the world the way that you see the world? Uh, And will you bring your kingdom here as it is in heaven? We pray all this in your name, amen. Okay, so it is week four of Advent. If you're not familiar, Advent is the time before Christmas where we look back at the first appearing Advent, that's what that word means, of Jesus when he came 2,000 years ago, was born in a manger, and it is a sign that God is a God that literally has skin in the game. He's not far away and removed. He's someone that comes, embraces weakness, takes on our sin, takes on our suffering, and is bringing a kingdom into this world that will last forever. And so in Advent, we look back at that and we say, praise God, thank you for coming, thank you for saving us. And also, we look at where we are and we say, hey, we live in a world where the kingdom of God is not fully broken in yet. If God's kingdom is about um, joy and about peace, if God's Messiah is about making wars cease, what does it mean when we still live in a war where there is stress, anxiety, war present all the time? So we're not just looking back, we're also looking forward and we're saying, Jesus, come quickly, come soon, bring your kingdom fully, finally here in this place. And we ask the question, what does it look like for us to live right now as citizens of that kingdom that is coming but isn't here all the way yet? And so that's exactly what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. The Sermon on the Mount is an Advent text because in it, Jesus is telling us what life in his kingdom looks like. He's giving us his values. He's showing us a goal or a picture of what it looks like to seek and pursue after the kingdom of God with all of our hearts. And he is giving us the means to actually do what he says by grace and through his spirit. So if you um, are new with us, Um, or aren't that familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes some pretty high demands in this sermon. The things that he says, if we're taking them seriously, should lead us to a place of asking the question, hey, if I actually do what Jesus is calling me to do, am I going to be okay? Like, if I actually give away what I have, if I actually turn the other cheek, if I actually live a life before God, not seeking to impress the people around me, am am I going to be okay? Am I going to have what I need? And so Jesus, in this section, knows that we're thinking that and feeling that. And so the main point, if you if you were listening to Libby read, is is pretty is is pretty obvious. Jesus says six times in this text, "Hey, do not be anxious." And in context, what he's talking about is the kind of so what conclusion. If you look at the first word in verse 25, it's therefore. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you should ask what the therefore is therefore. He's completing uh, his argument before. He's saying, hey, don't serve money. Don't give yourself to an endless pursuit of things on the earth. Seek the kingdom of God. And therefore, when you do that, you don't have to be anxious. But I think even though Jesus is mainly talking about um, our relationship to money and things, the application goes way beyond that. Because if we take all of his teachings seriously, 
it's natural to ask, are we going to be provided for? Is God going to give me what I need if I actually lay down my right to retaliate? If I actually choose to forgive that person and turn the other cheek, am I going to be okay? If I actually live my life not seeking to secure myself by getting more money or more security and seeking the kingdom of heaven, why am I going to have what I need to pay my bills tomorrow? Or am I going to have food on my table? Our hearts, if we're taking what Jesus has to say seriously up until this point, are going to wonder whether God is going to come through on his word. And Jesus understands that. Jesus knows the natural inclinations of our heart, and he's speaking a word directly to the anxiety or obsessive concern, worry, or fear that we all experience. The thing that you probably experienced this morning even, especially if you're a parent trying to get your kids ready and bring them to church in really cold weather and getting all their coats on, you know what anxiety and stress feels like. And so I, th- I think that there are at least three different kinds of people in this room who orient ourselves differently to what Jesus has to say here. The first kind of person is a kind of carefree You don't get stressed about much and you just like to live life as it comes to you kind of person. You don't really care about all that much. And you wonder why people do care so much about things that are going on in their lives. And so you hear this and you're like, cool, Jesus is saying exactly what I've been saying all along. Like you shouldn't take things so seriously. Everything is gonna be okay. So we might as well just let things roll and figure out how things come. Jesus has something to say to that kind of person. And if that's you, Jesus has something to say to you. The second kind of the person is the person who cares very deeply. Like you don't have to wonder what Jesus is talking about when he talks about anxiety because you feel the weight of responsibility on top of yourself every single day. You feel that in your personal life. You feel the weight of the world on you. And so you don't just double check your lists. You triple check, quadruple check to make sure that everything that you have is in line, is in order. You are very aware of everything that is going on in your life and you know the risks to the things that are um, going to make you not okay. And so when you hear Jesus talking about don't be anxious or don't worry, you start worrying about the fact that you're worried and you're anxious. And it's just like this self-perpetuating cycle over and over and over again. Jesus has a word for that. The third kind of person is the one who hears Jesus talking about birds and flowers and wonders what in the world is he even talking about? Like, does he have any idea how horrible life can be. Because some of you have had the worst happen to you, right? You know what it feels like for the worst to happen and to lose everything. And so Jesus comes along saying, don't be anxious, look at the birds. And you're like, what is this guy talking about? Jesus has a word for you also. Because what Jesus is doing is not saying, hey, just don't worry about anything. It's not that bad. Whatever you're worried about isn't that big of a deal. He's saying much more about who God is and how we can respond 
when things go poorly, then he's saying, hey, just don't worry about it. Everything is gonna work out okay. Jesus is saying that we follow a God who is completely in control of everything that happens in this world, even birds and even flowers. And if he's a God who sees and provides even for birds and flowers, won't he actually give you what you need? It's much more about who God is and reorienting the way that we see what's going on around us to that reality. Is life crazy and random, or do I live in a world in which God sees, cares, knows, and is going to give me exactly what I need? So before we get into what Jesus has to say, I I, want to spend a little bit of time talking about um, what is exactly is Jesus talking about when he says, don't be anxious? Uh, Because I think we all generally understand what anxiety feels like, right? You know what it feels like to be stressed. You know what it feels like when there is some threat or uncertainty in your future and you're not sure how it's going to work out. And I think, I don't have to prove it to you that we live in a world that is pretty anxious, right? Things seem to be out of control, and they don't seem to be slowing down or getting much better. So even though I don't have to prove it to you, I'm gonna prove it to you and give you a few stats. Um, So in 2018, Barnes & Noble noticed that there had been a 25% increase over the previous year in books sold on managing anxiety and depression. Um, And they've risen steadily since then. From 2013 to 2018, uh, there was a study looking at medication prescriptions to combat anxiety. And over that period, prescriptions doubled uh, and started sharply increasing after 2008, which incidentally is when iPhones came out and when social media started becoming more prevalent. Antidepressant usage has tripled over the last 20 years. During the pandemic, uh, in the first couple months of the pandemic, there was a 38% spike in prescriptions for anti-anxiety or anti-depression medication. And it seems like those things are impacting young people, people under 40, uh, and women more than most. That doesn't mean that older people or men don't struggle with it. It just means that those are the people who statistically are struggling the most. Here's something that's really interesting. The wealthier a nation is, the more it's likely they're going to struggle with anxiety and depression, which seems counterintuitive because it seems like the more that you have, the more secure and safe you would feel. But that's not the way that it's working out. We're an anxious people living in an anxious world, and Jesus is inviting us to a different way of seeing things because he knows that we all have a tendency to be driven by obsessive worry and concern about the future. And that's what he's talking about. Jesus is not saying in this passage that if you just believe enough, then things are going to be okay. He's not saying that if you just trust God that you're not going to have difficulties, hardships, or even suffering inside of this this life. 
He's not even saying you don't have to plan or even think about the future. He actually has a lot to say about how you approach and plan for the future. What he is inviting you to do is to consider, hey, where does my obsessive thought go to? When I look at my life, what is the thing or what are the things that have the most weight? What causes me the most care? So he isn't just saying, hey, just stop it. Don't care about anything. He's actually saying you should care deeply and you should know that you live in a world that is governed by the careful, particular providence of a God who operates like a father and not a boss. So with all of that kind of background, Jesus gives us in this section five reasons to trust God and not to be driven by obsessive worry or anxiety. And here, this, this is really important. Um, Jesus is really convinced that what you believe, or in other words, how you see the world, has a huge impact on how you respond to what happens in your life. The, what you believe and what you feel is not disconnected. So Jesus primarily here is inviting you to belief or trust in a God who sees and meets all of our needs. So the first reason that Jesus gives that we can trust God, that we can push back against obsessive worry about the future, is that our lives are more than just our physical needs. Your life is more than just the physical needs in front of you. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Because, here it is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus is inviting you to remember is that what you put in your body and what you put on your body aren't the most important things in your life. You are more than just a physical body that needs fuel to go on. You're more than just a physical body that needs clothes to keep warm. You are created in the image of God. And your deepest need is to see him and to know him. And so Jesus is saying, I know, I know you're worried. If I follow you, if, if, I, if I do exactly what you're calling me to do, like you're worried that you're gonna be okay. And I'm here to tell you, your father is going to give you absolutely everything that you need, no matter what, even when the worst happens. That song that we sang earlier, It Is Well With My Soul, was not written by a man whose life was perfect. It was written by a man who lost everything. His family drowned in a shipwreck, and somehow, even when the worst happened, he was able to write a song like that, talking about peace like a river flowing into his life, saying that even in that place, in that circumstance, it's well with my soul. And that's a guy who gets what Jesus is talking about here when he says, hey, your life is more than the immediate physical needs in front of you because your life is governed by a father who is committed to putting all things right again. So even 
if, even if the worst happens, you can walk through that with a peace and a joy and not despair. That's a gospel proclamation. That's not a technique that you master. That's a promise of what God says he's doing in the world. And that's something that you can hold on to. When things get really bad and when things get really hard and when your life feels like it's out of control, your life is more than that. So Jesus wants you to remember that. He wants you to rightly order what you're seeing and look at everything in the light of a God who provides, of a God who cares, and a God who's going to make everything new again. The second reason, then, that Jesus gives, if your life is more than just your physical needs, Jesus also wants you to know that you are more valuable to God than the rest of creation. We, people, are more valuable to God than the rest of creation. Look down at verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And, and, and why, verse uh, 28, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin their own clothes, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Even the most glorious, wealthy king in the entire Bible was not clothed like flowers in the field. So if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, won't he much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So, so Jesus is making a lesser to greater argument here, Right? If God is the kind of God who is so intimately involved in the world that he feeds birds, if God is the kind of God who delights in bringing color and beauty to grass fields through wildflowers, and if you matter more than them, then isn't he going to give you what you need? Because if he takes care of the lesser, won't he take care of the greater also? Jesus is giving us a really unique way of seeing the world. Like he, He says, consider, look at. The application for this sermon is to go bird watching, which is amazing. Go to Shawnee Mission Park and look at the birds and say, okay, I see the way that they're flying all around. God is the one who's feeding them right now. Is that the way that you see the world? That God is so involved that he's actually giving food to the birds that you see outside of your window every single day. And this, this also is a little bit of a rebuke to the first kind of person, the, the can't be bothered to care or worry about anything person because birds don't just sit in their nests and open their mouths and expect a cosmic hand in the sky to like drop a worm into it, right? They, they work. They fly around, they go out, they build a nest, they look for food. But Jesus is saying they don't do it in a way that is obsessively worried or concerned because they live in a world where God is going to provide their needs and God is going to give them everything that they're looking for. Birds don't have anxiety as they go about what is in front of them. And then Jesus is also not just asking you to go bird watching. He's also telling you to go look at flowers. And that flowers tell you something about who he is. So wildflowers, if you go to Shawnee Mission Park um, in the spring, just walk around 
and look at the way that trees are budding, look at the way the grass is growing, and look at the way the flowers are sprouting, Jesus says that that's telling you something about who God is. He's telling you that he values beauty in the world so much that he's going to clothe this field with something that's more beautiful than the richest king could afford to wear. I was walking around Shawnee Mission Park um, on Thanksgiving, and they had kind of uh, just burned uh, everything to make way for the spring. And that's actually a picture of what Jesus is talking about here, right? Uh, if you go there right now, it's going to be barren. It's going to be brown. It's going to be dead. And that's going to happen every single year. So if God clothes something that's that temporary, that's going to get burned up with beauty, won't he take care of you also? There's parables written into the way that you see the world. So I'm serious. Something that you could do with this text is to go outside and look at what's going on and say, okay, God is the one who's doing that. God is the one who's holding that together. And if God is going to take care of that sparrow, or if God is going to clothe that field, then isn't he going to do for me everything that I need also? Our lives are more than just our physical needs. We're more valuable to God than the rest of the creation. Reason number three, we can't add anything to our lives through anxiety and worry. Look at verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Now again, what is Jesus not saying here? Jesus is not saying that looking to the future and making plans is a bad thing. What he is saying is that obsessive worry and concern about something that hasn't happened yet is powerless to stop that thing from happening. You can't change the future at all just by sitting there, fixating on it, worrying about what's going to happen. In fact, the, like, the, 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 opposite, the opposite is true. You, you can't prolong your life by worrying about how your life is going to turn out. If you are chronically worried, obsessive about things that might happen, like, it actually has crazy health effects on you. World Health Organization said that anxiety and depression is one of the leading causes of uh, negative health outcomes in the world. Higher blood pressure, um, heart disease, it all, like, that's the fruit of obsessive, anxious fixation on the future. Instead, Jesus is inviting you, when you feel that worry and concern about what's coming up, to look at the birds, to look at the flowers, and to remember Okay, God takes care of them. If he is going to take care of them, won't he take care of me? And that's a rebuke to the second kind of person who's in the, work, in the room. What are you trusting? Are you trusting your ability to just check off all the right boxes to make sure that you're okay? Or fundamentally, ultimately, are you looking to a God who provides? Because reason number four Jesus gives us that we can trust God is that our God is a father who already knows what you need. God is a father who already knows what you need. Look at verse 31. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what are we gonna eat? What are we gonna drink? What are we gonna wear? 
For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. I know some of you did not have a father who saw or met your needs. Um, And that has a really deep effect, right? Jesus is saying that the God he calls father isn't like your dad who dropped the ball. He's the father that we all intuitively know we need to have. And he's actually going to do something for your needs. He sees you. And Jesus says that you can push back against the worry in your life because like, it's not surprising to your father. He's not saying, oh gosh, I had no idea that that was going on in your life. He sees it. He knows everything. And if he does that, will he not give you what you need to make it through? Now here's the deal. Uh, a lot of times uh, our definition of what we need might not line up with what God says that we need. My son last night was really convinced that he needed a milkshake from Chick-fil-A, and I was really convinced that he did not. (laughs) And the same thing is true of God with us. We're so finite, and our vision is really, really limited. So even when things don't work out the way that we thought that they should, Jesus is saying, hey, your father is giving you exactly what you need. Your father is giving you exactly what you need to make it through. He's giving you the grace that you need to make it through, even if the worst happens. Your father already knows that you need. That lets you sing, it's well, when the worst happens. Reason number five, Jesus says you can trust God, is that tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Which is kind of funny because Jesus is ending this teaching by saying, hey, you don't have to be worried about tomorrow because tomorrow's going to have plenty of trouble. So you don't have to worry about it. It's like, okay, cool. Thanks, Jesus. Verse 34, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Put positively, what Jesus is saying is that God gives you the grace that you need today. God will always give you grace for today's needs. And Jesus has been teaching us already in the, in the, in the Lord's Prayer just a few verses earlier um, to, to pray to God, hey, God, God, give us today our daily bread. Give me today the things that I need. Give me grace to make it through right now, today. And Jesus is saying, if God will give you grace today, then he'll also give you grace for the troubles that are going to come tomorrow. So if God is going to give you the grace that you need for your troubles tomorrow, why obsessively fixate on them? He's going to give you everything that you need. And so Jesus is saying that if you embrace these realities, if you see the world in the way that he sees the world, a place that isn't random, a place that isn't just chaotic, but a place that is alive with the presence and provision of God, it changes the way that you operate in there. Like worry, stress still is going to come. But what you do with that can change. It might not change the way that you react uh, later this afternoon or tomorrow, but if you look at who God is, 
if you remember that you have a father who meets your needs, then that changes you over time. That changes you into a type of person who can trust that God is going to come through, that can sing with joy even when the worst happens. That's not all Jesus has to say, though. Jesus is not just giving us five reasons. Those are great. Those are amazing reasons. Um, But Jesus knows that you can't just put something down and then uh, expect everything to be okay. You actually have to replace the kind of uh, fixation in your heart with something different. So in this passage, Jesus is not saying, don't be concerned about anything. He is saying, you should be concerned about the right things. That's in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. So um, throughout, throughout, throughout the New Testament, this word for anxiety pops up uh, over the place. It was really confusing to me uh, at first because when Paul uses this word, it's always positive. It's always a good thing. Uh, Paul is anxious about uh, the churches. Paul sends uh, people to care for other people because he says, hey, I know there's no one who's going to care for you as much as this person cares for you. So what, what, um, th- this word can be used either negatively, positively, and what it's talking about is what is your orienting concern? What are you most concerned about? Is it the kingdom of God? Is it seeking after what God has said to seek after? Or is your life driven by obsessive concern with the small things in the future that you wonder if God is going to actually come through and give to you? So when Jesus says, seek first, he's not just saying, hey, the first thing that you do in the morning when you wake up is you should read your Bible and seek first the kingdom of God and then go about your business. Um, First here is first in a matter of priorities or direction. Where is your life going? What are you seeking after in this life? Is it the kingdom of God or is it the things right in front of you? So remember, the kingdom of God is a specific place where God's rule and reign are expressed. It's his um, sovereignty, his kingship uh, that are embraced by a people. And Jesus' assumption that if that's you, if you embrace the kingship of God, you're going to look different than the people who are around you. That's why he says, hey, the, 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 the Gentiles, remember the Gentiles are the people who don't know God. Uh, they're the ones who uh, have never heard of his promises. He says, hey, the, the Gentiles are the ones who seek after. That word seek implies kind of like this manic, um, obsessive, anxious activity. He says, hey, they seek after all of these things. You seek after the kingdom of God. What does that look like in a people if we all are doing that? A few hundred years after uh, Jesus preached this sermon, uh, there was an emperor named Julian in the Roman Empire. Christianity had grown, spread throughout the empire at this point. And Julian was writing a letter to some of his officials about Christians. And he said, hey, we, we, we should be ashamed of ourselves. We should be ashamed of ourselves because not a beggar is to be found among the Christians. They feed not only their own people, but ours as well, whereas our people receive no assistance at all from us. What does it look like when you have a group of people who are so concerned and obsessed with the kingdom of God that they give themselves away and give their possessions away? It looks like that. It looks like people noticing the way that we care, there's that word again, care for each other 
and don't fixate obsessively on things that we cannot control. That's what seeking God's kingdom looks like. That's what trusting in God's provision leads to. And Jesus says not only, hey, seek the kingdom of God, he also says seek after um, the righteousness. He's not saying you should work really hard to make sure that you're saved. He is saying, hey, if you trust my grace, if you are a citizen of my kingdom, then pursue the ways of the kingdom. Seek to become more and more like Jesus. In chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus said that he came to give a greater righteousness uh, than the scribes of the Pharisees. So when Jesus says, seek after the kingdom and his righteousness, he's already told us exactly how we should be doing that. To seek after the righteousness of God is to make the Beatitudes your orienting aim in life. So are you seeking to establish yourself, get more things for yourself, or are you seeking to embrace poverty of spirit, meekness? Are you following after the things that God calls beautiful? How do you do that? Jesus has already told us in the Sermon on the Mount, we do that by actively resisting the temptation and sin that is inside of all of our hearts. He talked about this in chapter five, anger, lust, divorce, lying, retaliation, withholding love, refusing to forgive. These things choke out the kingdom of God inside of us and only lead to more worry, more anxiety. And so Jesus says, hey, turn away from those things. Repent, rejoice in the grace of God that's here for you today, and then go to war on them by living differently. How do you live differently? He's given us means of grace to pursue a different kind of life. You live differently. You participate in the kingdom of God by serving, by giving away what you have to the poor, by regularly praying to your father, by fasting and by having a single-hearted fixation and pursuit of the kingdom of God. Like, he's already shown us the way to battle worry, to battle anxiety, and to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And in this passage, he's promising God is going to give us everything that we need as we attempt to do that. So will we be driven obsessively by worrying about things that you can't control tomorrow? Or are you going to be driven by a pursuit to see the kingdom of God come here in this world as it is in heaven? Because you know that your God is going to meet every single one of your needs, even if the worst happens. Let me close in uh, two ways. Um, I, I said a little bit earlier, this same word for anxiety shows up all over the place in the Bible. I think one of the most interesting places that shows up is in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. 2 Samuel 7, God shows up to David and promises that he's going to establish a kingdom and a king through his line that's going to last forever. And God says that when this king reigns, um, it's going to lead to peace. So in 2 Samuel 7, verse 10, God says, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed, there's that word, be anxious no more. 
So in the Old Testament, God solves the anxieties of his people Israel by establishing a king who is going to rule over a kingdom and provide and care for the people who live there. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is pointing to you to what that kingdom looks like and saying, hey, I am the king that God talked about in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm the one who's going to rule over my people. I'm going to be the one who provides for them. And this doesn't work if that's not true. Like, you don't have a reason not to be anxious or worried about what's going to happen tomorrow if Jesus is not actually a king who is ruling over a kingdom and giving you a secure place inside of it. But he is doing that right now, even in places where you don't quite know what he's doing or where he's going. Second thing, King Jesus, this king, is not like other kings. He's, he's, not, um, he's not a politician. He's not a president who you know doesn't really care for you, but is just going to say whatever he can to get your vote. He's not like that. He cares deeply about you. There's a pastor in World War II in Germany named Helmut Tilleke. No idea if I pronounced his name right. So he was a pastor in Stuttgart, Germany, um, and his congregation like lost everything during the war. Town was bombed, they lost family members, they lost friends in the war. Uh, and after the war ended, he spent two years preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. There, there was something, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in World War II in Germany was obsessed with the Sermon on the Mount. There, there was something in the church in Germany uh, during that time about the Sermon on the Mount that really resonated. And so he came to this passage uh, and he said, and this speaks to the third kind of person in the room, hey, if anyone has a right to feel cynical about what Jesus has to say here about birds and flowers, it's probably us, right? Because we've seen the worst. We've experienced the worst. But listen to what he says. He said, I, even though that's true, I think we have to stop and listen when this man, whose life on earth was anything but bird-like and lily-like, points us to the carefreeness of the birds and the lilies. Because weren't the somber shadows of the cross already looming over this hour of the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus was a man who was acquainted with suffering and sorrow and hardship. He was under no illusion that the world is completely safe or sanitary. He knew that the cross was coming when he spoke these words, but he saw things differently because he knew that the shadow of the cross doesn't have the last word. He knew that the shadow doesn't overcome that in the end, it's only a light and passing thing. And there's light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. That's Tolkien, that's not me. The shadow is only a light and passing thing. There is light that will come after a cross comes resurrection. And if that's true, if he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, like if he did that, won't he give us everything that we need? And so Jesus goes to a cross, accepting the weight of sin evil, brokenness in the world because he knows that through him it will be defeated and resurrection will be our inheritance. That's what Jesus is pointing you to today. It's not a just bland, hey, everything's gonna be okay. It's not that bad. No, it's, it's no, when the worst happens, there's resurrection on the other side of it. 
so you can have joy and peace even right now. And one of the ways that we celebrate that every single week is by coming to the table. When you come to take communion, it's a physical reminder that if God gave himself for you, will he not provide everything that you need? Today, tomorrow, and always. Communion is open uh, at Redeemer for anyone who calls uh, upon the name of Jesus, who, anyone who trusts in Jesus to be their salvation. Uh, the way that we do it is we're going to have a station up in the balcony, and we'll have uh, three stations down here, two with bread, wine, uh, and juice. The wine is in the stoneware, the juice is in the glass, and then we'll have a single serve gluten-free right up uh, off here and to the left. If you uh, feel anxious today, because we're an anxious people in an anxious world, um, Come take communion, trust Jesus. Also have someone pray for you. We're gonna have uh, prayer ministers off to the side who would love to go to God on your behalf. Ask him to say, ask him, say hey, you said that you're a father who gives us all that we need. Will, 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 you meet, uh, will you meet this need? We would love to do that for you. If you're not a Christian, we're really happy that um, you're here. We have prayers in the back of the pews uh, that can help you deal with God or engage with God. Don't take communion. Uh, spend this time actually just asking God to reveal himself. So I'm going to uh, invite the band communion service to come forward. Uh, I'll pray for us and then we'll come to the Lord's table and uh, close out our service. So Jesus, uh, thank you for everything that you had to say. Thank you that you are bringing a kingdom uh, that, that lasts, uh, that we can trust you, that you are the kind of God who doesn't just see our needs, but actually can do something about it. So God, will you increase our faith? Uh, will you increase our hope? Will you increase our love? Will you open our eyes to see the world the way that you see the world? Um, so thank you. Thank you for your grace. Will you give us the grace that we need today and tomorrow? Pray all this in your name. Amen. Come forward when you're ready.